from the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hello, everyone. Well, it is Christmas Eve Eve. Yes, it is. December 23rd, and I'm reversing things today. This is going to be the Ask Wendy West show. Nuh-uh. Yeah. At least right now. Okay, what are you going to ask? I have a question, Wendy, for you. Yeah. I would like you to share your happiest Christmas memory from childhood. Oh, wow. Well, it's going to sound funny, but this is just my image of Christmas that I love so much. I don't know if I can share it with our listeners in a way that they will understand it, but... Mm -hmm. Christmas was a holiday where grandparents came to us, both sets. So we had my father's father, his mother had died, but my father's father would come from Kansas and come on a a plane. And then my mother's parents would come from New Jersey and they were Italian. And my happiest, I don't know, the thrill, we would have the house all decorated, have the guest rooms ready. We kind of rearranged our sleeping so to make room for these grandparents to stay. But when my Italian grandparents would arrive, my grandfather would have on this kind of long overcoat and a fedora-type hat. <laughs> and he would come in carrying these two or three, he'd have these, Italian Christmas cakes called Panatun, which now you can kind of buy in any TJ Maxx or, I don't know, grocery store. But back then, he used to buy them in New York City. They weren't uh-huh. just available everywhere. And he would so have So this was them. a special, special oh, treat. Oh, they were very special. But the way he would kind of burst through our front door with these, you know, oh, yeah, cakes I feel it. in his arms and his hat and his laugh, it was like, Christmas had begun when he walked in. And we I can almost him. smell him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I just, that's like my thrilling childhood memory. Uh-huh. I also loved the cake. So, you know, I was probably excited about it. But the the love and joy that seemed to be coming into our house and and the joy with which we had anticipated it and that just special feeling of now it's really Christmas mm-hmm. was is what I most remember. Thanks for asking. Yeah. <laughs> I had a strange ritual that's just coming to my memory now. When <clears throat> when I was a boy, on Christmas Eve, I had this tradition of sleeping in my closet. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know why. I had a kind of elongated closet. It wasn't like a small box closet. Uh-huh. And I did get too tall at some point to actually fit you in there anymore. You had to give up that tradition. I had to point. give it up when I got oh. too tall. But it was a fun thing. Like, oh, I get to sleep in my closet tonight. I don't know why I did that. <laughs> and when I was really little, my dad would put footprints in the fireplace oh with his goodness. cowboy boots. And then he'd put a little trail of ash footprints outside wow. the fireplace. And of course, the cookies and milk would be eaten and... We really believed in Santa Claus. I remember the year, or I remember the time when I realized Santa Claus was not real. It was really sad. Uh, I was figuring out, I had lost a tooth, and I got my money from the tooth fairy. Mm -hmm. And at the breakfast table, I'm looking at my dad, and I'm thinking, I don't believe that there's really a tooth fairy. And he got that little smirk on his face, and I knew I was right. And then I was like, and the... Easter Bunny. 
Oh. There's no Easter Bunny. Oh, it's it's. But so then the, sad. the dominoes were just falling. I oh, couldn't no. accept the next conclusion. I oh, couldn't that, accept it. No. That means that means <laughs> that, that means Santa. <laughs> and then I said, "Well, what about the footprints?" And my dad showed me his cowboy boots in the closet. Oh. Yeah. Well. I'm sorry. It's actually. I think it was that. Depth of disappointment. Yeah. That led me to suggest to you, and you were in agreement that we wouldn't do Santa Claus with our hmm. with our kids. That's interesting. I think for me, it's part of my there were different reasons that we, you know, didn't tell our kids gifts came from Santa for me. One was just um wanting them to trust us, you know, yeah. and kind of feeling like is there a violation of trust? And I know different families do different things. It's not like a yeah, it's you not know, like some moral yes, stand. We no, have. no, no. But just wondering if that would feel to them confusing about that trust in our relationship. But also, it did to me. I felt deceived. Yeah, I didn't like it. And the other thing to me is just the practicals of it. You know, the I knew of a, a neighbor whose kids d- discovered some hidden presents very close to Christmas, mm-hmm. and they suddenly felt they had to reshop for their kids different gifts oh, dear. so that. They wouldn't think, you know, they wouldn't Give catch away on. that Santa Claus yeah. isn't real. Yeah, and I thought, that just, uh, that's too much stress for me. Yeah. <laughs> you know me, I don't like a lot of stress. So, that it felt like, you know, not that I show the kids their gifts before Christmas, but just there isn't the same pressure on it, I guess. Well, shall we move to some questions? Certainly. Our prayers are going out to all of our listeners that you would have a merry, merry Christmas. Yes, the Lord... Uh, especially that the sense of it, you know, being a huge celebration because it's something huge to celebrate. Amen. The Lord coming. And I'm thinking of something JP2 says. He says, through the fact that the word of God became flesh, the body entered theology through the main door. Mm. As I often say in my talks and presentations, if, if you believe in Christmas, you believe that the body's theological. Yeah. The body, this is what we're celebrating. Mm-hmm. We're celebrating our own bodiliness here, that our bodies are worthy of God. Yes. That's what Christmas is, the celebration of God in the body. Astounding, astounding. I have a question here from a listener named Kenneth. Kenneth? Kenneth, yes. He says, hi, Wendy and Christopher. I'm a fan of your podcast all the way from Goa, India, and I've listened to almost all the episodes. My question is, how does one become as knowledgeable about theology of the body as Christopher West? P.S. Wendy, you have such a beautiful voice. (laughs) Thanks, (laughs) Kenneth. So that's the question. How does one become as knowledgeable about theology of the body as Christopher? Well, Kenneth from Goa, India. We're so happy that we get to reach people all around the world with this podcast. Yeah, that is amazing. That is, thank you, God, for this technology. Well, I can just tell you my own journey, Kenneth. It's one of lots of study and lots of prayer, lots of prayer and lots of study, then lots of study and lots of prayer, (laughs) and then lots of prayerful study, and then lots of studious prayer. (laughs) (laughs) I'm getting a theme here. Getting a theme here. Yeah. Kenneth, you, you're on your own journey. You know, your goal is not to become as knowledgeable as I am, but the goal is to become as knowledgeable as the Lord wants you to be. Yeah. 
what does the Lord want for your life, Kenneth? Are you, you know, I'm a little bit of a weirdo. Um, <laughs> I don't think, I don't think every, I don't think everybody's called to study the theology of the body as in depth as I have, but we are called to to live it. Every single one of us is called to live the theology of our bodies. Just as I was saying before we posed this question, this is our faith. Our faith is faith in the Word made flesh. This is what, as the Catechism says, it is the incarnation that is the distinctive sign of Christian faith. There's no other religion in the world that believes God took on flesh. What does that mean for our lives? What does that mean for our own bodies? What does that mean for the way we live and the way we love and the way we think about the world and ourselves? All of us, by virtue of our baptism, we're called to live out the theology of our bodies. And in as much as maybe some formal study or informal study of John Paul II's teaching helps in that regard, then then I that's that's why I do this work to invite everybody. Mm-hmm. It's a means of evangelization. It's a means of living out our faith. I do this work precisely to inspire others to take up this banner and run with it. God knows we need it. But I would caution you, Kenneth, about wanting to uh, be as knowledgeable as as I am per se, because again, I have a a unique calling on my life to do this work. You probably don't have that same calling, but I would encourage you just to prayerfully enter into the journey that the Lord has marked out for your life to become the man you are meant to be. And if you are interested in, you know, growing in your knowledge of theology of the body, then begin with the beginner's book, Theology of the Body for Beginners. Then you can go from there to the explained book, Theology of the Body Explained, and then by that time you're going to be ready for sure to read John Paul II directly. And if you're already ready for that, skip the middleman and just go right in for John Paul II's book called Man and Woman, He Created Them. And I always say this too because, you know, I'm limited in my perspective and there are a lot of other good teachers out there teaching Theology of the Body. If you've already been exposed to my work, you know, dabble in some things that other people have said. Read something from Katrina Zeno. Read something from Father Thomas Loya. Read something from Damon Owens. Read something from Jason Everett. Read something from Anastasia Northrup. There, there are so many people doing this work out there. Just Google Theology of the Body resources and, and just keep going. There's always, always, always more. I've been at this for a quarter of a century or more already. Yeah, it's over a quarter century I've been studying this and teaching this. And I'm amazed, just this morning I was reading a text from John Paul's Theology of the Body, and it opened up for me in a whole new way. And I'll Mm -hmm. I'll even share it because it was really exciting. So John Paul II was inspired by something Pope Paul VI said Mm -hmm. in his encyclical Humanae Vitae, of human life is what that means. And Paul VI said, we need, in order to understand the church's moral teaching, we need a total vision of man. Yes. And John Paul II ran with that. He said, okay, this is the, we, I'm going to unfold this total vision of what it means to be human. And, and I've, I've most often understood that in the abstract, a total vision of man, kind of a, an abstract sense of what does it mean to be a human being? But it became very personal to me this morning. I, I was realizing in order to love you, Wendy, I need a total vision of Wendy. Hmm. I was just praying this morning about 
how can I love you better as uh, be a better husband? And wow, thanks. And, uh, you know, well, that's my vocation. <laughs> It's not anything you need to thank me for. It's okay. my call. It's well, my. It's what I'm doing with my life. Good, good, good. You're on right track then. <laughs> and and I, I realized I need a total vision of Wendy. I need to understand you as the Lord understands you. I need to see you more and more as the Lord sees you. A total vision of Wendy. Because when I don't have a total vision of Wendy, I, I don't love you as I'm called to love you. Mm. And anyway, my, my point is that I've been at this over 25 years and there's always more. There's always, always more. There's because we're pondering infinite mysteries here. Mm -hmm. So Kenneth, all that to say, keep going, brother. Don't be discouraged Uh, wherever you are in your journey is keep going. The Lord has you where you are now. Take another step and then take another step and then take another step and keep going because it leads to glory. It does. That's beautiful. And hey, Kenneth, come if you... If you are able, and if you're not, maybe we can find a way of raising some funds for you. Uh, I'd love to see you, Kenneth, come to the United States and take one of these five-day retreats on the Theology of the Body. So consider that. You wouldn't be the first from India Yeah, to come. that's right. We've had others from India. Yeah. We have one coming up in March, and we have the next one coming up in June of 2020. So, Kenneth, if seriously, I, I mean this seriously, if you don't have the funds and you want to come from India to the United States, I will find donors to make it happen. So, so take that seriously, pray about it. If you want to come, let us know and we'll find a way to make it work. Awesome. Next question. Okay, this is from an anonymous wife. She says, hello, Christopher and Wendy. First, I'd like to say I stumbled across your podcasts when you first started broadcasting, and I've been enjoying listening to them and learning about TOB since then. So good. Thank you. Here's her beginning of her question. I enjoyed attending yoga classes and found it had many beneficial effects, but stopped going because I was told it was not compatible with Catholic teaching. My understanding is that yoga has physical and spiritual elements, and essentially you're using your body to get into a pose and in doing so, opening yourself up to other undesirable forces. However, other Catholics I know are of the opinion that yoga is just a form of exercise, the poses are not inherently bad, and you can avoid the, avoid, sorry, the non-Catholic spiritual and meditative side of it. Therefore, it would not be in con- conflict with Catholic teachings. From a TOB perspective, can you share your views? Well, dear anonymous wife, I... I can't say that I am thoroughly educated about yoga. Uh, I can say I am somewhat aware that there are different camps in the church, those who are, you know, very firm and saying, no, you're opening yourself up to forces you don't want to open yourself up to, to that are, you know, because of these certain poses, the very pose itself is opening your soul up to things that can be not good influences and then there are other people in the church who say, well, how, how could a pose of your body, you know, just standing in this way, be in and of itself problematic? And I would, you know, if you're looking for my personal opinion, my personal opinion, this is not any thoroughly researched perspective. Maybe if I learned more, I would say something different. But I would lean in the direction of saying, there's not any pose of your body that in and of itself is inherently wrong. 
And I would, I would tend to lean in the position of saying, with the proper disposition, you could use uh, the elements, the beneficial elements you're learning from these exercises in a way that's just fine. That would be my initial inclination. Again, it's not a well-researched statement, but Wendy, what are your thoughts on yoga? Maybe you know a little bit more than yeah, I do. Yeah, I, I have encountered this struggle more than once and different people's opinions on it. I really question the claim that somehow without engaging your will in any way, right. that simply by assuming a position that is communicating something in the spiritual realm, despite you the fact of having zero intention to right, communicate right. that. That's that, a very good point. That just seems like f- very fear-based and kind of giving a power to evil forces that they don't have yes, over us. Yes, I, yes, I think I would agree with you there. So I, I, don't, uh, I don't ascribe to that fear about yoga poses. And I think that, you know, I know people who benefit from that as a form of not just exercise, but exercise in, a, in another sense of having kind of uh, stress-relieving benefits, mm-hmm, kind mm-hmm. of centering, focusing, all of which is perfectly fine Catholic language. It, there's nothing wrong with centering and focusing and letting go of things as a practice for our overall health, including our spiritual health. So, yeah, And people connect those words kind of sometimes, certain circles, you know, mm-hmm. connect the centering, like they connect it with some kind of new agey right. thing. And, and there are new agey things that use language like mm-hmm. that. But here's a basic principle we have to come back to again and again and again. And it's foundational for a Catholic understanding of the universe. It is this. You've heard me say it before. The devil does not have his own clay. Mm -hmm. All he can do is take God's clay, which, behold, it's very good. Everything God made is very good. The enemy can and does get hold of that very good clay and twist it up. Are there things that are twisted up in yoga? Probably. Are there things that are twisted up in all kinds of things that we engage in? Yes, because we're human beings and we live in a twisted world. Uh, there's a certain puritanism we can have here where we, we, we want absolutely everything we do. And, you know, you can't go to a movie if there's a swear word in it. You can't do what, you know, that's a puritanism that is not Catholic. Mm-hmm. Uh, to live from that Catholic cosmology in recognizing the devil doesn't have his own clay is to recognize even where something is twisted up, guess what? It's something good that has gotten twisted up. And we can, with the help of grace and the leadings of the Holy Spirit, we can reclaim the good that has been twisted up. So, I w- you know, yoga uh, with caution, I would say, look for what is good be aware of what might not be good mm-hmm. and reclaim what's good and don't be afraid to reclaim what is good and use it for good. That's my that's my take. Hope that's helpful to that anonymous wife and everybody. And if there's anybody out there who has, you know, additional things you may know about yoga that we don't know about, feel free to share it with us. Absolutely. This is from Angela, a listener named Angela, who says, thank you both for doing this. You're welcome, Angela. Becoming a mother was a very enlightening experience, especially in regard to the theology of the body. Breastfeeding, in particular, is something I often contemplate. 
which led me to a deeper understanding of the theology of my body as a woman and mother. Beautiful. That being said, can you address the over-sexualization of a woman's breasts? In our culture, if a woman breastfeeds her infant away from home, she often feels morally obligated to cover herself when she does this. While I understand this and do wear a cover, it frustrates me and my babies. I struggle to understand why breasts, which are clearly designed to nurture infants, are hypersexualized and treated like a bedroom accessory. Mm. Mm. Okay, I have so much to say about this, and I know, Wendy, you have some thoughts about this as one who's nursed five beautiful babies. Uh, And it goes... Babies and toddlers. Babies and toddlers, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I think you weaned them, what, at 12 or 13? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Uh, No, what, uh, two, three? (laughs) Yeah, buried in there. Yeah. Yeah, there, there. I was just reading recently in scripture. Uh, some, I wish I could remember what book it was. It was in the. Well, it was in Maccabees talking yeah, about right. being nursed for nursed, three years. That's right. It was just recently in Maccabees uh-huh. being nursed for three years. Anyway, uh, Angela, bless you, bless you, bless you, and bless every woman out there, every nursing mother out there, and all the mixed signals and really distorted, diseased ideas that get into our minds and our hearts about the meaning of a woman's body. Uh, we're, we're none of us, male or female, none of us have been immune to this, I would call it an all-out attack against woman's womb and against woman's breasts. And this, without a doubt, comes from the enemy. It's right in the book of Genesis, I will put Enmity. This is God speaking to the serpent. I will put enmity between you and the woman. There is a hatred that the enemy has that is aimed directly at what makes her a woman. Namely, what's the difference between the male and the female in the bodily sense? She has a womb. She has breasts. Why does she have a womb? Why does she have breasts? We have lost sight almost entirely in the modern world of the motherly meaning of a woman's body. John Paul II brings this out in his Theology of the Body. He says, he says, the very parts of, and I mean, he may not use the word parts. He probably doesn't use the word parts because part, I don't even like talking about body parts because when you talk about body parts, you're, you're separating the body from the person. Uh, I I wish I could remember exactly what he says, but this is a, a pretty close paraphrase. He says, those aspects of the woman's body that hold a perennial attraction for the man, hmm. meaning like from the beginning, this deep-rooted, perennial, rich, original attraction. He even uses the word a holy fascination. Mm-hmm those aspects of the woman's body that hold this perennial attraction and this holy fascination for the man, he says, are directly connected with motherhood. Mm. Directly connected with motherhood. In a world that contracepts, and when we, when we and I don't just mean the activity of contracepting, although it includes this, but I, th- I mean something bigger than that. The world that contracepts is a world that begins to see the world 
and the human body and human sexuality through the lens of a contraceptive worldview. We could even speak of that, a contraceptive worldview. It's like you're looking at the world with condom-colored glasses. And when you do that, you no longer see the connection with motherhood. You no longer see in a woman's body, and you no longer see the connection with fatherhood in a man's body. You can become almost blind, even though you may still acknowledge the biological fact that, uh, you know, without a condom, this will lead to a child. But with those condom-colored glasses, the goal of sex, and in turn, in the eyes of a man, the goal of a woman's breasts, the goal of a woman's to put a sensitive term to it, her gates mm. become pleasure. It's no longer mm-hmm. about bringing new life into the world. The goal becomes pleasure. And when the goal becomes pleasure, a woman's breasts become objects of pleasure. Without a doubt, this is the paradigm in the modern world of a woman's breasts, pleasure. When that's the paradigm, we don't like to be reminded Mm. of the real purpose of a woman's breasts. Or let me me put it this way, just so so it's not to be uh, reductionary. I would like to say maybe the fundamental purpose of a woman's breasts are to feed a child. But let's not forget, it's right there in scripture. Let a husband rejoice in his wife's breasts, Mm. right? The, The lover in the Song of Songs is rejoicing in his wife's breast. So should a husband rejoice in his wife's breast? Absolutely he should. But rejoice in them for what God intended them to be, mm-hmm. which is inclusive not only to bring you as a husband pleasure and delight, but to nourish life. Again, in a world that doesn't see the body integrally and we reduce the woman's body to an object of pleasure, Then, this is the crazy thing. This is crazy. It is crazy making. We're calling good evil and evil good here. What am I talking about? You you go, you you can get removed from a Walmart for breastfeeding your baby. You know, security can come and say, "You're, you're exposing yourself indecently, get out of here. But you go through the checkout line at that same Walmart and you're exposed to, you know, what I call cleavage aisle Mm -hmm. with all the magazines that where women are just parading their breasts for pleasure. And this is okay. Mm. And, and, And then here's another example. It's just in the last year or so that I have started to see in airports these boxes like it's like a box with a door on it that says lactating station or something like this, <laughs> where, where nursing mothers are supposed to go into a, a, an enclosure, close the door, and nurse your baby there. But it's fine for women to be, you know, walking through the airport with their cleavage hanging out and, and all the magazines you're going to see in the airport stores and porn magazines you're going to see in the billboards in, in airports with women just their boobs popping out. Whoa, 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 whoa. We have it all backwards. And it pains me, pains me, pains me so greatly that the most normal, natural, beautiful purpose of the breast to feed the child is now unacceptable in a public setting. Whereas every other, you know, manifestation of the breast just as object for male pleasure is somehow acceptable. 
oh my gosh, the weight of that lie in our lives and in our, on our minds and our hearts, it's so pervasive. And I think that's the pain that this woman, uh, Angela, is is expressing. Wendy, shine, shine some light. That's enough from a male for oh, now. Oh, thank you, though. Thank you for your affirmation, you know, for all women to appreciate and come to just recognize. I, I love that. Angela used that phrase, the theology of my body. Yeah, it's beautiful. Bodily self-donation to your infant and toddler, as I throw in there. Uh, I just, I feel having experienced it and talked about it to some extent with other mothers, the way we mother our, our children is very subject to cultural criticism that many people have strong opinions and whether it's how your children behave in, when you're shopping in the grocery store or in church or, you know, in all different public places that there's a lot of judgment from the outside that we contend with. And so, it is an occasion to need for ourselves to pray, to talk with our spouse, to you know allow the Lord to just give us courage to parent in the way we really feel called to do um, mm-hmm. in spite of judgment. And I cannot say that I've done this perfectly. I have suffered um, and kind of allowed people's criticism to get a little too deep into my heart at times and and that affects my heart and the way then that I am with my family not intentionally but it's just my own human weakness and processing yes, that yes. that has been my experience and I personally was just more inclined to do my best to uh, nurse our babies without a cover but modest modestly you know wear right. clothes that made that work out yeah you had you best. had this great catalog from uh, yeah, right. what was that place called oh gosh i forget now but they had these great nursing yeah clothes nurse that, friendly clothes <laughs> right. that allowed you to nurse without a cover with without yes it depends being immodest on, about yes it. it depends on the child and the yeah what, let me just actually i'm so sorry i want to correct what just came out of my mouth without being immodest about it i mean Okay, modesty obviously plays some role here, but is it immodest for a woman to be nursing her child in public? I mean, obviously she has to be aware of the reactions of others, but I also think there's there's a re-education going on here that is necessary for, not that you're popping your breast out and just fully exposing it in public place, but I always, I always loved your, you were delicate about it, Wendy, and but without without being overly concerned about it. Yeah, and I think some of it is being able to, you know, feel enough at peace that you're able to kind of look up and meet people's gaze and not feel sort of like you're inwardly wishing you weren't there or something. But to, to be to remain present to whatever social setting you're in as much as possible, as much as is comfortable for you and the baby. All this brings up uh, so many fears and concerns and and just dealing with how distorted the culture is mm-hmm. and dealing with our own comfort or lack thereof with our own bodies. It, it reminds me of, remember our friend Melanie told that story? 
she went off. She was at some public place. She went off into a corner oh, yes. to nurse a, a child, and she, she had was, one of those covers yeah, over she was her. In a back room, and it was a an African an woman. African priest. Oh, African priest. A priest okay, from right. Africa who comes up to her, yeah, approached her, and removed the cover removed to look the at cover the baby. To look at the baby and said, <laughs> "Oh, isn't that beautiful?" Right. <laughs> Which just goes to show how what a different culture he was raised in. Yeah. Right, and she was initially kind of taken aback and a little shocked by this, but then she she let it sink in, and she she longed to be in the presence of others who had that same yes comfort, peaceful comfort, and right. holy understanding right. of what what it means to nurse a child. I I just have some final thoughts. Just, Please, I'm um, sorry, I interrupted. That's all right. No, that's fine. Just that maybe if this podcast could speaking to those who are not nursing mothers who are around nursing mothers just i i just caution you if you have strong opinions about how a baby should or should not be fed in a public place that there is a beautiful relationship that outsiders to that relationship shouldn't be judging that is that sensitivity of a mother to mm-hmm. her baby and mm-hmm. to that baby's needs above everybody else's needs present. Sorry to say it, but that baby can only come to her and she Amen. needs to be able to respond to her baby. And that's not for others to say how that should look. So I just, I want to challenge others to be open-minded and gentle and um, encouraging and like that priest, you know, to appreciate the beauty of that mother-child relationship. And to mothers who are nursing, you are caring for your child in a cultural environment that is can be challenging, and there's not one right way to handle that. And if it's most comfortable because of circumstances in your heart or in your surroundings to use some kind of cover, please don't feel that we're criticizing right, that in right, any way. Right. Be at peace. Um, but if it is most comfortable not to, and it's best for you and your baby, then please also be at peace about that. That that's, it is, it is, there's no way of getting through parenthood without feeling that others are somehow judging what you're doing as not right. And that's a part of the challenge to all parents. But I just want to, just wanted to say those two things, those words of caution to those who would judge and encouragement to those who are caring for infants in a challenging culture. Beautiful, Wendy. I'd like to also issue a little gentle challenge to those who would be quickly critical of a woman who's feeding a child in a public place. I would invite that person, whether it's a man or a woman, to look at what's going on in your own heart. Mm. Why is something as beautiful and innocent as a child at the breast, stirring such judgment or harshness or maybe even violent feelings in your own heart, they can get to the point of being violent reactions we have. And I would just encourage you to ask the question, why Mm -hmm. is that going on in your heart? What formed or shaped you Mm -hmm. to think that way about a child at the breast? And it's interesting, I think these issues go so deep in us. This is going to sound silly, but these issues go so deep in us precisely because they go so deep in us. (laughs) What do I mean? I mean, think about it from this perspective. What is the deepest, 
most original hunger that the human being feels. The moment we're born, mm. we feel a hunger for the breast. This hunger for the breast is fundamental to our humanity. Mm. And, and few of us, few of us in the modern world have had uh, proper mothering here. Few of us have been breastfed in accord with God's design. And there are all kinds of circumstances here that make it difficult or sometimes even impossible. So this is not a scolding of mothers who didn't breastfeed their babies or this is not that at all. But I think we do need to look at what is God's natural design for the child at the breast and and what can we do to arrange our lives to be in accord with that as much as possible. The bonding that happens between mother and child, the intimacy that happens between mother and child, the comfort or lack thereof that is being instilled into the child, and and the mother about bodiliness. So much of this happens at the breast as an infant or doesn't happen because it doesn't happen. For whatever reason, maybe our mothers weren't able to breastfeed us. But I, I don't think it's a mere coincidence that the rise in bottle feeding in the modern world has coincided with a rise in this later adult obsession with the breast. Mm. I think it's connected. Uh, I, I really think it's connected. And if you think about just the fundamental function of the mammary gland, the breast, to talk about, I love, again, Angela said, the theology of my body. Well, think about the theology of a woman's body here. The goal, the very function of the mammary gland is to transform blood into food. If that's not ringing any Eucharistic bells for us, then we're not paying attention. Where did Jesus himself get the idea that his blood could become food if not at the breast of his blessed Mama, <laughs> mama. Do we even know where we get the word mama? <laughs> the word mama comes from the Latin for breast. Mama is Latin for breast. We, you know, in English we have mammary glands, right? Or we're mammals because we all we have breasts. We breastfeed the young. Mama, mama, mama. Holy mama, our blessed mama. Please come, be our mama. You know, St. Peter, in his, in his letter, he says, we are to yearn for pure spiritual milk. Well, where does pure spiritual milk come from if not from our pure spiritual mama? So whoever out there might be dealing with these diseased ideas and images or harsh judgments about breastfeeding mothers, please, I beg you, go to your blessed mama with those diseased ideas and images and let her feed you with pure spiritual milk so that we can be healed. And please pray for me too. I got all kinds of issues in my own <laughs> humanity here. Uh, I need to learn how to go to my pure spiritual mm. mama with this fundamental human hunger that never goes away. It's in there, right? And if it doesn't come out in a holy, healthy way, it's going to come out in a, a neurotic, obsessive way. So let us learn with Mary. Please help us. Come be our mama here. Teach us how to get all these diseased ideas and images about a woman's body out of our minds, out of our hearts, and feed us with that pure spiritual milk so we can really see how beautiful and holy it is to be human. And I, there's one line in scripture, 
And I know here, before I share it, I just want to say this. We're probably going over time in our episode here, but this is an issue so, so, so uh, important because we're so messed up here. Uh, I, I think it's worth just the extra time we're spending on it. But a scripture comes to mind that just cuts through all of the craziness and the mm-hmm. lies and the deception and the the junk that gunks up the works in the way we even think about this stuff. Not stuff. We're not thinking about stuff. We're thinking about real human beings. We're thinking about real persons. I, I, this this dawned on me once when I was working through some of my own obsessiveness and disorder in my own thinking that there's there's no such thing as breasts. Just plain old breasts. There's no such thing. It's an abstraction. Mm-hmm. There's no such thing as hands. Mm-hmm. You only have a person's hands. You only have Wendy's hands. You only have Christopher's hands. You only have a person's breasts. Yes. So we're talking about persons here. Mm-hmm. And that's not an abstraction. And the scripture that comes to my, my mind that just cuts through all those abstractions on the one hand and those the distortions and diseased images on the other, it's this. It's that woman who cried out. And you can just imagine the the overwhelming sense she had of the holiness. She's in the presence of Christ. Mm -hmm. She's experiencing his teaching. She's experiencing his person. She's experiencing this encounter with this inexplicable, amazing Jesus. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the gratitude, the way her gratitude and the way her awe and the way her amazement wells up in her heart. Yes. Blessed is the womb that bore you, and blessed are the breasts from which you nursed. Mm -hmm. There it is. There it is. That cuts through all of it. Mm -hmm. I would encourage anyone out there, you're struggling with understanding of your own body as a woman, or if you're a man who doesn't know how to honor the true beauty and dignity, uh, the true theology of woman's body, pray into that. Blessed is the womb that bore you. Blessed are the breasts that you sucked. Here we are. We're two days away from Christmas. We are Mm -hmm. two days away from Christmas. What's going to happen? The blessedness of Mary's womb is going to be fully revealed. And she's going to take that newborn child and she's going to bring that newborn child to her breast. And that newborn Christ who feels our hunger, who feels that ache, goes so deep. He's going to be satisfied at the breast of his mama. He's going to be satisfied at his mama's mamas. (laughs) (laughs) Praise God. Praise God. This is the Christmas celebration. This is what it's all about. I know we're over time, so we need to wrap this up. But uh, Wendy, any any final thoughts there? No, I really appreciate all of that. And I pray for all our listeners as you ponder these things, take them to prayer and uh, just know that you're on a journey that we are also on and we are praying for every one of us to reach where the Lord is calling us. Jesus, son of the living God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you that you humbled yourself in the fullness of time. You came and you were born of a woman. Help us this Christmas to enter into that incarnate mystery of your bodiliness. You took flesh from the womb of Mary. You took blood from her blood. And even in your birth, you still received her blood through her breast. 
through that blood that became food for you, the one who nourishes the world, Jesus Christ, was nourished at the breast of his own mother, Mary, our spiritual mama. Come feed us with pure spiritual milk. We ask this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Merry mm. Christmas, everybody. Yes. We love you. Thanks for being part of this podcast with us. Remember, you are an indispensable, irreplaceable, unrepeatable gift. Become what you are. Ask Christopher West comes to you from the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione and production by Sounder and Key. Christopher and Wendy hope the information presented is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you're going through serious difficulty, you can find a list of trusted counselors and psychologists in the show notes. Next question. That was some flappy paper. <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> Flap it again. I want to see that sound effect. There we go. Everybody picking that up? <laughs>